Hello, hello, hello. My name is Ben Warnski, and welcome back to I Know What You're Thinking. Last episode, I began with a casual flex about my family's trip to Europe, and in doing so, I gave my mom credit for planning some fun vacations and events. I'd like to open today with a story involving her and a place much closer to home. As most of you may know, I am from Raleigh, North Carolina, the home of Bojangles, Chad LaRose, former Carolina Hurricane, and Michael C. Hall, the actor who played Dexter in Dexter, and maybe the most important group to come out of the 919, Troop 41. I know what you're thinking. If you're above the age of mm, 30, you probably have no idea who Troop 41 is. Actually, if you're of any age and not from Raleigh or went to Kentucky, you've probably never heard of Troop 41. But have you heard John Wall? Have you heard of the song about John Wall? The single that came out in 2010 that peaked at number 76 in the Hot 100 that had middle schools across the country jamming out? But how did that group come to be? Why Troop 41? Well, simple, really. At the time of their formation in 2005, T Breezy, Little Lee, and Lil Inferno simply just added up their ages. Boom, a star was formed. But this isn't about Troop 41, nor their hit single, which everyone should listen to at least once a year to remind themselves of the good time, nay nay. This is about Raleigh, the city of Oaks, and my mother's desire for our family to do fun things together. My mother isn't really one just to sit around and twiddle her thumbs. She's a doer, a go-getter, and when she puts her mind to something, it's simply going to happen. She's the reason that I have a love for board games and took piano for so many years. Although, to be fair, for a lot of that time I was more forced into it and less that I was actively trying to expand my brain by trying to learn a new instrument. I remember playing phone games on her Motorola Razor while my sister was taking her lessons, but the only games, and I use that term loosely, was you could take a photo and then put a border on the outside, maybe some text on the screen. So I would just take a picture of my face and then put a border around it. Truly an influencer, I was ahead of my time. I'm all over the place today and it's only one minute in. My intent of talking about this is that my mom was always scouting out for fun and new things for our family to do. And this brings us to the fair. This was not just an ordinary fair, it was one at the hospital. I know what you're thinking, Ben, that sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, sure, normally fairs are held outside at large fairgrounds with Ferris wheels, rides, games, and food. But is that so different from a hospital? I mean, instead of Ferris wheels, you have, well, elevators. And instead of rides, you have... Well, EKGs, that's basically the same thing, isn't it? Well, you'd think. Anyways, so my mom sees an event online about a fair that is happening at a local hospital. 24 hours later, here we go. Our little family of four is rolling up to what we expected to be a um, fun event. Keyword being expected and fun events. Not word that you'd even really ever want to associate about anything held at a hospital. We walk in and we realize that perhaps a fair isn't the correct term for this event. As you look around, we see maybe three stations set up with approximately 15 people milling around. There was a station where you would create these paper characters and at each joint you'd put a little pin so you could move them around sort of like uh, do the robot. I think there was a face painting station and then for comedic effect, I'll say that the last station was a place where they taught us medical terms using flashcards. Needless to say, we did not stay at the fair very long, and it was something that we continue to this day to make fun of my mother for. With that being said, I'd like to wish all mothers out there a happy Mother's Day, as that even happened last weekend. I love you, Mom, and I'd personally like to welcome you, and only you, to this episode of I Know What You're Thinking. I know what you're thinking. Ben, do you know the best way to kill off a new and up-and-coming podcast? By having a flurry of podcasts to start and then missing an entire week? I know, I know. I took a little bit of time off, but that was because I traveled to Dallas, Texas for a big work event because I obviously am pretty important. Certainly not just going to visit friends. Couldn't be me. But today, I wanted to take a look at a tale that does involve the clash of two conflicting styles, two different eras, or even two different days of the year. 
I, of course, am referring to September 19th and December 5th, which, as I'm sure you are all aware, are National Speak Like a Pirate Day and Day of the Ninja, respectively. While we aren't going to talk about which day of the year is better, although I won't say that won't factor into my final decision, what I do want to discuss or bring to light is an old internet debate of pirates versus ninjas. Who would win? Who is cooler? Which way of life is better? And overall, who is a superior being? Currently, I think I'd have to be on Team Pirate, but that may be because pirates, even if they are portrayed much differently in film than they are in real life, spawned one of my favorite movie franchises ever, Pirates of the Caribbean, which, fun fact, is the only movie franchise to have two films within the same franchise to gross over $1 billion. Yes, that's billion with a B. Do you know which two films reached that historic marker? If you said film number two, Dead Man's Chest, and number four, On Stranger Tides, you'd be correct. If you knew even more, you'd know that Dead Man's Chest was the first Disney movie to feature that now iconic introduction with the castle and the stars and the music. You know what I'm talking about, I'm sure. But yeah, so to all you people out there who told me that Pirates of the Caribbean is a terrible movie franchise, well, you should really give them a rewatch because currently an unnamed sixth and seventh movies are in the works, so go get ready for many more years of that Motley crew. But just how Motley were they? Obviously, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, the writers of the aforementioned greatest film franchise of all time, had to take some liberties with their product, because likely Disney wouldn't have enjoyed some of the darker elements that pirates and their piracy brought along with them. The earliest forms of pirates and piracy take place in the 14th century BC, where the Sea Peoples, as they were known back then, attacked ancient Egypt and other regions of the East Mediterranean, coming and raiding and pillaging from the sea. By the pre-classical era, the ancient Greeks originally condoned piracy as a viable profession, as it was, quote, regarded as an entirely honorable way to make a living. But by the classical Greek era, it was looked on in much more disgraceful light. The most widely known pirates in medieval Europe were the Vikings who roamed the seas between the 8th and 12th centuries where they raided coasts, rivers, and inland cities. You've probably heard of the Vikings, both in the sense of the word pirate and the 2013 drama series following Ragnar and Lagertha Lothbrok through six seasons. But you may not know that the word for Viking was actually used to reference an overseas travel, and as Scandinavian people of the time would say, they were going to go a Viking with many of these expeditions just a run-of-the-mill trade and foreign mercenary enlistment. While they may have been fierce in battle, Vikings actually never wore that stereotypical Viking helmet that has the two small curved horns you may have seen as you're perusing for your next Halloween costume when you realize that going as a Syntax 404 error for the 10th year in a row just isn't going to cut it this time around. Let's forget the Vikings for a moment though. We may come back to them later when I want to pick a champion for my fight against the ninjas, but let's fast forward past the area of the Vikings into what is considered the golden age of piracy, which is actually up for some debate in terms of what exact years fit into this category, but because none of you know better, let's call those years 1650 to 1720. From historian John Fisk, who said that, quote, at no other time in the world's history has the business of piracy thriven so greatly as in the 17th century and the first part of the 18th. The earliest time of this golden period can be defined as the buccaneering period, where French buccaneers had established themselves as the standard, their main island of operation. You may have heard it mentioned in the Pirates of the Caribbean, Tortuga, named because when Christopher Columbus set eyes on it, it reminded him of a turtle shell coming out of the waves. How quaint. The buccaneers on this island called themselves the Brethren of the Coast. The growth of buccaneering on this island was aided by what is known as Letters of Mark, which basically are letters or a message that could be given out by governing bodies that authorize certain private citizens to go out and capture or hunt down specific people or boats, kind of like bounty hunters. I know what you're thinking. What is the difference between having a letter of Mark and being a pirate? Right, you're asking good questions. 
Unfortunately, by 1670, many of these former swashbucklers had turned to more mundane tasks to keep steady flows of income, such as just chopping wood or even gardening. To quickly wrap up the pirates' complicated history with the law, pirates, or their technically legal counterparts, privateers, were given missions or coin for the purpose of going out and plundering ships of other nations. If there were no marks coming down, by 1690, pirates would begin to turn their eyes onto the Indian Ocean, where the East India Company's vulnerable ships carried silk and calcio. This era ushered in many famous pirates that we hear today, such as William Kidd, Thomas Too, and John Rackham. William Captain Kidd is famous for his still allegedly buried treasure that was never found before he was executed in 1701 at the scarily on-the-nose execution dock, which could also be called an Arby's drive through am I right? Unfortunately for Captain Kidd, in 2015, his treasure may have been found, as a group of archaeologists reportedly believe that they dug up an 121-pound bar of silver off the coast of Madagascar that may just be the beginning of the captain's treasure. Unlike other seamen, pirates had to follow strict rules for how they wanted to be treated on the ship. Contrary to popular belief, pirate captains did not have a dictatorship over the rest of the pirates, and captains had to be voted in, and they had strict rules for them to follow as well. The captain was not treated better, with more food, better living conditions, etc., than the other members on the crew, and was expected to treat the crew with respect. This was in deliberate contrast to merchant captains, who often treated their crews terribly. Many pirates had formerly served on these merchant cruise ships, and knew how horrid some captains could be. Because of this, ships often implemented councils composed of all the crew members on the ship, and some councils were used to make daily ordinary decisions, while others were used as a court system only when criminal incidents or legal matters necessitated it. Pirates weren't all good though, and they certainly weren't all organized or even really that good at their jobs. They weren't masters of the sword by any means. Usually crewmen were relatively low-class citizens who had been forced or chosen this road because they had no other options. This meant that they didn't have enough means to get formal sword training, but often fought with uh, a curved cutlass, daggers, or their fists. And if they were on a boat, obviously they would use their cannons. If anyone would like to read more into the history and the different sides of pirate's life, I'll do a book club with you on the book titled The Pirate Next Door, The Untold Story of 18th Century Pirates, Wives, Families, and Communities by Daphne Giannakopoulos. Or if you want to read it and let me borrow it after, we can work something out. At the Benzone on all social platforms. But that's enough about the tough lads that sail the sea. Let's talk a little bit about the more sexier profession of the ninja. The origin of the ninja, meaning shinobi, has appeared as far back as the 8th century. The connotation means to steal away and to hide. There's very little early history on them, as one would expect from people who were recruited to stay, in part, out of the sight of the public. One way that ninjas separated themselves from the common person was their training in ninjutsu, which is a strategy of unconventional warfare and espionage. Ninja used their art most frequently for territorial lords, known as daimo, as scouts, although could assassinate if required. Unlike in modern depictions of ninja, the throwing star, or shuriken, was not used nearly as much as their main weapon, as shows like Naruto may have you believe. While shuriken were used, they were primarily used to distract an enemy while a ninja could make their escape, or would be dipped in poison as to cripple a target even if a vital area was not hit. By the 15th century, ninja's guild had formed and became more mercenary-like in the way they operated. Each family and clan would have their area of operation, and as you'd approach the clan, you'd talk with the highest rank of jonin, who would then delegate some tasks to the genin, which is the lowest rank, or the chunin, which was in between the two. Something that is interesting to me is how few outsiders could become ninja. Unless you were born into a family of ninjas, they were unlikely to accept outsiders. This made being a ninja and ninja villages a real thing. Like their inhabitants, ninja villages appeared normal, but were designed for easy defense. Fake walls, trapdoors allowed for ambushes, escape, or hidden weapon caches. 
Most ninja homes had floorboards designed to squeak when stepped on, making it more difficult for intruders to get around undetected. Unlike what Hollywood may have you believe, ninjas didn't walk around Kill Bill style with a samurai getup and black hoods and masks. That would run basically counter to everything that they do, which is to observe and gather information. If they're trying to infiltrate a village that did require huge swords or black face paint, they may acquiesce, but otherwise you're more likely to see them dressed up in traditional civilian attire. One of the more popular garbs was that of a Kamuso monk. These monks were given a rare ability to travel around the country freely. To keep themselves humble and incognito, these monks travel with what looks to be an upside down straw basket on their heads that would keep their face hidden. That's funny because I didn't realize my parents were crafting me into Kamuso Monk when they wanted to keep a paper bag on my heads at all times, but the more you know. In addition to ninjas being masters of disguise and espionage, they are more kitted out than Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. From curved hooks to scale walls, small spikes to hinder pursuit, and even these little flotation devices that were called Mizugumo, which means water spider, which, for the record, pop culture told us that these allowed ninjas to walk on water, and that does seem to be an exaggeration as Mythbusters has uh, busted that myth. Uh, the Mizugomo does seem to be real, but it's closer to a, a, a pool floaty or a, a flotation device kept around the waist where the ninja could wear flippers and quietly paddle themselves underwater. There should be a distinction that not all ninjas were of a pristine quality. Much as with fast food or the ever-delicious chicken nuggets, speaking of which, I'm not really sure where all the distaste for chicken nuggets came from. Chicken nuggets are an incredibly delectable delicacy, and I will hear no slander to their name. Anyways, you could choose a professional who knows what they're doing, or you could go with a commoner who is simply hired and pretending to be big time. I don't need to finish that metaphor to get my point across for when I'm talking that Chick-fil-A is obviously the big timer and Arby's is obviously the uh, hired pretender. The last written accounts of the ninja in war came from a siege where one of the biggest ninja clans, called the Koga, conquered a castle where it was said, quote, more and more general raids were begun, the Koga ninja band, under the direct control of Matsudiera Nobutsuna, captured the Ninomaru in the San Nomaru. I apologize for that pronunciation, by the way. If there is one thing I pride myself on, it's not being an expert on anything. But if there's one thing that I could become an expert at, I think it'd be cool to become one on ninjas. Enter Ganishi Misuhashi, who is exactly that. As of 2020, he is the only person to earn a master's degree in ninja studies from the Japan Mi University International Ninja Research Center. His undergraduate degree is in rural development. Shout out Ganichi. So let's boil it down. I'm using some areas from a TechCrunch article on the subject, and so we'll just use those. Intimidation factor. Pirates. They were crazy. They would set fire to their hair on their face for the sole purpose of scaring enemy soldiers. Ninjas, on the other hand, want to do the complete opposite. They'd prefer you never see them coming, much less set fire their beers. Elusiveness. While pirates would sometimes evade capture, it seems dumb not to give the nod to anyone but the shinobi. Who has the better work environment? Would I rather live in a village surrounded by my friends with the threat to be under attack by another ninja village, or live on a boat and get scurvy? Do you prefer fun? or longevity. I think I'd pick the fun. Which is better for society? Now this one is really tough. I think I'd give the nod to the pirates. They stimulated the economy and helped to transport goods and money to a new world that otherwise would have been sold for ridiculous prices. While the ninjas may have been honorable, I don't think that you could ever say that every act that ninjas have performed is up to snuff, just that pirates performed their acts in public while ninjas were in private. We will likely never know the full extent of the horrendous and heinous acts that ninjas have performed, just based off what they do. What about PR? 
I think ninjas have to have better public relations just based on the fact that they don't have any PR whatsoever. As a saying goes in my line of work, no news is good news. So who would I choose? I'm going to have to go with my gut and pick the swashbuckling pirates. There's something about them that intrigues me, and I think that they were smarter than pop culture would have us believe. Such as, did you know that they wore eye patches not because they had one eye, but because when it would get dark, they'd take off the eye patch and have the ability to adjust to the darkness quicker than those who didn't have the eye patch? That's some savviness for you. Agree with me? Disagree with me? Are you a ninja guy or a pirate girl? Talk to me in the comments, in my DMs. I'll post about this on Instagram. Don't you worry. Let me know what I missed. Did I absolutely disrespect ninjas or did I undervalue some aspect of the pirate life? Let me know. I'd love to hear about it. At the Ben Zone on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, TikTok, you name it, I got it. Let's get it going. In this week's review of the week, oh, well, it seems like we haven't gotten any more reviews since a week ago when I solicited. So here I go again. All two of you who are still listening to this, first of all, thank you for supporting me and the program. Every listener increases my chance to get this puppy sponsored, and you know I'm all about the hashtag sponsored content life. Remember to like, share, rate, and review for a chance to be featured on future episodes. And when I say a chance, I mean a really, really good chance, considering there is actually nobody else here, so I would like to read some more reviews of you guys. If you'd like to have an ad read for yourself or any business, slide in my DMs. We can talk about it. Also, make sure you vote on the polls on my Instagram, at the Benzone. Well, I've only been on the majority side once so far. I'd like to keep tabs on who my true friends are, so I appreciate all of those who interact with this part of the program. Or this part, or any part, for that matter. Even if we disagree on everything. That will do it all for this week. I'm Ben Warnsky, and this has been Episode 7 of I Know What You're Thinking.